What's up, guys? How we doing? There we go. That's what we like to hear. All right, all right. I have a cordless mic this time, and so I can use both my hands, and I love it. Cool. So if you guys haven't met me, uh, I'm Caleb Moody. I'm one of the residents here on staff with Salt Company. And what a summer it's been, guys. Like Nadia was saying, stuff is, is winding down. We're coming to a close. Some of us might be starting to feel some of the stresses around the corner, classes starting up, maybe a different work schedule. And we thought that summer was going to last forever, but here we are. It hasn't. We still got a couple weeks left, so we'll enjoy it, but those things are coming up on us. Um, so for me, whenever the school year was approaching, right about this time in July, I would always start having two dreams, two nightmares, really. Uh, and this started around the time I was in the sixth grade. I would start to have these dreams, and I had them all the way through until I graduated college, um, and even sometimes still today. So the first dream is me missing the bus. And I'm always a sixth grade boy, and I'm in uh, my middle school, Excelsior Middle School off 10th Street, and I'm getting done with classes for the day, and I'm finishing up, walking to my locker, and I go to open it, and I can't get it to open. And I try to do the combination, and I can't get it to go. And I tried a couple of different times, and then maybe I, I finally start to get it open and pull it open, and I grab my bag, and I sprint down uh, just in time to see a bus leave without me. And every single time, filled with panic and the anxiety of that, I get to watch a bus drive away without me and think, what am I going to do? And then I wake up, and I have that dream even sometimes today, right? The other dream, this one came a little bit later, uh, I'm sure some of you have had it, is I would be walking around on my college campus, going about my day, and I would end up in a class that was on my schedule that I actually hadn't attended all semester, and I show up in this class, and they start handing out tests and going, this is your final test. And I'd be like, oh, what was I thinking? I didn't go to class. What, what's happening? And they'd be like, this test is 100% of your grade. And if you fail it, you're kicked out of college. <laughs> and so I'd have that dream, and I would wake up and just, oh, man, just heart beating. And it would take three or four seconds to be like, I haven't been in a class in two or three years now, and I definitely didn't take Astronomy 101. I don't know what that was about. And so I still have this happen, right? These dreams still happen to me, even till this day, and they would especially happen around this time of year. And they would crop up because I was stressed, right? I had an image of how I wanted the year to go and was so deeply scared. That's what it was. I was scared that it wouldn't go the way that I wanted it to, and so much so that it played itself out in my dreams. It played itself out in me sleeping and just being terrified. Those two different dreams are very regular for me. So this seems innocent enough, right? But when does that kind of stress start to cross the line? When feeling stressed isn't necessarily wrong, right? It's adaptive. It helps us do what we need to do. 
but it does cross a line at some point. And at some point, doesn't it become anxiety, right? Anxiety being a deeper fear, the kind of thoughts and stress that repeat, they're cyclical, they feed into themselves, they become bigger and bigger, snowballing into these humongous things we feel that we can't handle, or they wrap in on themselves, becoming dense and heavy, and we don't feel like we can ever possibly lift them, right? Like it takes and crosses that line, and they feed into each other, and it's not easy for us to look away from those anxious thoughts. So fears like that we'll never get the job or that we will never get the, the boy or girl, that we'll never get married, that we won't get the grade, and that we just aren't doing enough. That if we could just think harder and do more, that we would achieve and we could get these things. Guys, this is all over. It's all over our whole world, anxiety and hurry and hustle, all with the aim that you and I build something, that we become something, the kind of person, and that we build the kind of life that we want, and we're terrified that we're going to fail. We're terrified that we are going to fail. And we think and believe the saying that nobody's going to look out for me but me. Right? It's all on my shoulders to achieve and control my circumstances, to become and build the kind of life and person that I want to be. And that's terrifying because we're terrified of the world that we have to control and order our lives to achieve this standard that we've set for ourselves. And we think that the world is, is uncaring, and that if we don't look out for ourselves, we're going to waste away. It's all on me, and I need to do this. So why? How could I possibly stop thinking about these things? How could I possibly stop them from ballooning up or repeating in on themselves? What are we going to do about this? Is there any hope that this kind of chaos within us could be stilled? Is this just how we are supposed to be? Is how we're supposed to live? in this turmoil and anxiety? Well, let's seek the answer tonight. Um, the text we're going to be in is Philippians 4, 1 through 9. So you guys can open up there. Not a mystery. We've been in Philippians for a moment now. And tonight, once again, we'll be in Philippians 4, 1 through 9. And I'll read it for us. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syneche to agree in the Lord. And yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life and rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. And finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worth praise, think about these things. What have you learned and received and heard and seen in me? Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. 
right? So this is the word of the Lord. He's communicated to us. And what do we have here? We see in verses one through three, we have Paul addressing some kind of disagreement. I practiced for a long time to be able to say the names Iodia and Syndike, and I'm still not positive I'm pronouncing them right, uh, but you get the point. He's addressing a disagreement that is going on between them. And he's calling his for unity, which he's done before in this letter. Um, the, this section, it may feel easy to look over, but it actually serves as a foundation for us as we move forward into our understanding of anxiety and peace in the kingdom, the Lord being at hand. So Paul opens and ends verses one through three in calling forward toward an ultimate reality of heaven, right? So these people that he loves, he calls them his joy, his current joy, and his crown, kind of signaling forward toward, toward heaven, right? His crown. And he adds, and he ends the section with a reminder that they and their fellow workers, they have their names written in heaven. So in ultimate security, right? It would be easy to dive in to that startling command that we see to not be anxious or that beautiful call at the end to have thoughts about those things that are worthy of thinking of. But instead realize, Paul, he's painting a picture for us about Christian peace, and it's on the backdrop of this ultimate security in heaven, that for Christians, their names are written in the book of heaven. Those believers, those who believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, Christians, believers, we have this kind of internal life inheritance and a security that is held in the redemption we've been given in Christ. So with that in mind, keep that idea fixed, that that's the kind of future that believers have. That's the kind of hope that we have. So we'll keep going. Pick up back in verse 4 with that command. Rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. And some of us have heard only that. Don't be anxious about anything. We've been anxious, and how are we told to deal with it? Well, cut it out. Stop. You feel anxious? We just talked about anxiety feeling like a humongous snowball of repeating cyclical anxiety. So just stop. You know, right there. And so some of us have received that kind of advice. And did we find that helpful? No, I, I would wager to say that, that we didn't, all right? Uh, so there's more than that here. This is further reaching. We do see the command. We see the command, don't be anxious. And just like, not just that, all right? It's just, it doesn't just say, don't be anxious. It says, don't be anxious about anything, not a single thing. So we're commanded not to be anxious. But what's being told to us here, it does reach so much further than a simple Stop it, all right? That's not what we're being told. The kingdom is at hand, right? We see right before this, right before that command to not be anxious, it says the Lord is at hand. So anxiety is the problem. We bring anxiety to the table. And what's the solution that the Lord brings us that is offered to us twice throughout this passage? It's peace, the peace of God. And how do we get that peace of God. And the answer is wrapped up, like I said, in, in what we saw directly before, that do not be anxious. 
that the Lord is at hand. Or once again, as some of the translations would say, the Lord is near. He's near. It's getting at a theme that we see all throughout the scriptures, a theme of the kingdom. So we'll take a quick peek here. You guys don't need to turn to this. It'll be up on the screen. We have 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 13. This is God speaking to King David. And he says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So we see God promising David. This is the greatest king that Israel has ever known. And he says to David, he's going to establish a kingdom out of the line of David. But this kingdom is actually going to be far greater than David's kingdom has ever been. Because it's going to last forever. And then hundreds of years later, we see Jesus, Jesus show up on the scene declaring the very same kingdom. We have Mark 1, 14 through 15 here. Now, after John, that is John the Baptist, was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So the promised kingdom is at hand. It's near, the Lord is near, and every kingdom has a king. And not only has that kingdom, it's been firmly established, but the head of that kingdom, Paul says, is near to us. And for Paul, this means something profound about how we should respond to our anxiety and how we as Christians are to seek peace. Think about it this way. In our lives, we try to build our own kingdoms. You and I both, we naturally gravitate toward the belief that we are rightly the masters of our own lives. We convince ourselves of this because we think that we will find peace once we have the right thing. We put all of this on our shoulders. So once we have the right relationship, once we're married to the perfect person, that we've had the perfect job or education, that the unrest in us will be gone. That once we have a lack of once the lack of money in our lives has been fulfilled, once we, that lack of social status, we just want people to look at us just a little bit different or get that grade that we want, that once those things are satisfied, we'll be able to rest. But how's that working out? We obsess over these things and how they play toward our security and our future. And from the throne of our lives, we try to rule and control the outcomes we think the responsibility is all on us, and we act as if we are our own God, that there is no God, that there is no one in control. And guys, it's tearing us to pieces. Seating ourselves on that kind of throne is crushing us. Our kingdoms, they can't stand. You don't need to be on the throne directing and securing your current and ultimate destiny. We keep trying, and it keeps crushing us. Our internal lives are tattered shreds. So stop putting yourself on this, this throne. You can't handle it. You're never meant to secure your future, to direct and order your whole life toward perfection. You and I weren't meant for that kind of existence. We do have one who is in control and has secured for us an ultimate future and he's not going to abandon us. So that kind of control we're trying to express, to have to order every little detail in our lives 
to achieve. We can't handle it, but we do have a God who can. Let's go to Genesis 50, 20 here. This is Joseph speaking to his brothers. And he says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So there's a God, the God of the universe, and he's powerful enough to take things that are meant for evil, evil things done by evil people, and use them for good. And once again, we see here in in Romans 6, another element of God's control, that we know that for those who love God, that all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So scriptures, they tell us of a God who is in control, who's so powerful, he takes things that are meant for evil and he uses them for good. They tell us of a God who has personal care, for you. He's not going to abandon you, and he's faithful even in afflictions. And his kingdom is not only established, it's near. He's near to you. He's drawing near to you. So our kingdoms cannot stand in the face of a king like this. Your desire for control, it's incompatible with the type of person that you are, that we are. We're creations and we can't handle the pressure to organize our way to perfect destiny. We don't belong on that throne. But there is a kingdom. There is a kingdom, and it's a threat to our kingdom, but it's better than our kingdom, that we don't have to order our lives in that way. So surrender to that kind of God who has control, a God who's merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Let this kind of God who holds it all have that throne. You don't need to build it out for yourself. He is in control. We need to surrender. But how do we surrender? Well, we surrender to Christ's lordship through two practices that we see in this passage. So, I'll read once again, four through seven here. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus. You see that there? So we're called, the Lord is at hand. And how do we respond to this? Through prayer. So if we've surrendered our position on the throne, if we recognize that our kingdoms are leading to nothing, that we're crushed by the weight of anxiety that we feel from trying to order and direct our lives for the perfect destiny that we've imagined for ourselves. If we see that, and we surrender, we don't have to go to our own ability for control of our lives. Rather, we go in prayer to the one who has control. We go to him and we pray. And we pray in a certain way here. We go to the God of the universe, who we have access to because he came down and put on flesh to die for and forgive us, and we request of him. That's what supplication means. Supplication, petition, depending on your translation, that you're making a request of God. We come to him with our hopes and our dreams. We open our hearts and put them under his will because he's the only one who actually has control. Right? We go to him in prayer because we don't actually have the type of control that we 
pretend that we do. And he does. And sometimes he tells us yes. And other times he tells us no. And other times he says, not yet. Right? And that peace that surpasses all understanding comes through that prayer. It comes through going to God and submitting yourself under the fact that I actually don't have control. God does. But he's a powerful God in control of everything. And he's for me. And like I said here, sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no, sometimes he says not yet. But our request being fulfilled is not where that peace comes from, right? This is not some new code on how to pull the lever on the cosmic slot machine to get the thing you were already wanting, right? This is coming into communion and putting yourself under a God who knows better than you do. And that even if those things don't happen, that you know that he has your best interests at heart. And a small aside here, let's be honest too. The way that we pray, we are often praying as we think we should rather than how we actually are, how we actually feel. We don't bring our real thoughts and feelings. We think that we need to be pious and holy and eloquent and that we need to say the right things in the right order. And the problem with that is it's just not the biblical prayers that we see. Go through the Psalms and you see people angry, distraught. You see people praising the Lord and you see people lamenting their circumstances. It's not this pious and holy thing, but it is coming under God, a God whose kingdom is established and who's drawing near to you, who's close. And that peace comes not through him fulfilling your request, but through you recognizing what type of thing you are, that you're creation and he is creator, and a type of creator that loves you. So we aren't to pray beautifully and clearly, but we are to come meet with God, to request of the one who is actually in control, and to do so with thanksgiving, recognizing that he knows better than us, that he has given good gifts here and now, and that no matter what our current circumstances, he's secured for us eternal life, that hope that we were talking about in verses one through three. So we pray. We put ourselves under the God of the universe who is near. But what else do we do? Well, this has something to do with our thoughts. We'll pick up here in verses 8 through 9 that finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just and pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So even our thoughts, guys. And if we consider this, this makes sense. What does our lack of peace comes from? Well, it comes from our desire for control and to direct our lives to the outcome that we have decided is best. But it's also rooted in our thoughts, right? Our thoughts are the battleground where our anxieties rage. And Paul, he's given us marching orders for how to combat this anxious thinking. We fill our minds with what amounts to toxic waste. We dwell on what's evil. We dwell on what's wrong. And we naturally give attention to the false and unjust and the broken. These are the things that consume us, that fill our minds. Jesus, he's imploring you to see the good gifts in the world around you. To cultivate a thought life that considers truth, honor, 
purity, beauty, to seek what is commendable, meaning looking for what is worthy of giving praise, not as what worthy of being complained about. But this is how our brains work, guys. When we think of something, it becomes easier to think about, right? The more we think about something, the clearer connections our brains make to it and it becomes easier to think about. Think about it like water wearing its way in a path in the ground. The more water and the more times water flows through that path, the deeper it gets. The deeper it gets, and we've allowed our anxieties to become like the Grand Canyon. It's so easy for our thoughts to trend toward this well-tread path because so much of our thought life is lived out in this anxiety. But we have to step in. We have to redirect the flow of water there. And the result of that redirection, as Paul says, is the proximity to the God of peace. So the more we think about these things, the more we feel proximity to God. This is about wearing a new path. I can say with, with a lot of confidence that we've all felt anxiety in this room and that it's easy for us to trend that way. We see in Matthew 5, 8, we're told by Jesus that blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. This is what he's talking about. That the battle for our peace, it's waged in our thoughts. So when you find yourself moving toward anxiety, take it through those things. Take it through those filters. Is what I'm thinking, is it true? Is this thing even true? Oftentimes we get triggered into these anxious thoughts and we don't even stop to ask ourselves, is this accurate? Is this an accurate thing that I'm thinking? So is it, is it true? And is it, is it honorable to those that I'm thinking about? Right? Am I honoring those who I'm thinking about? That every single person is an image bearer of God that has inherent dignity. Are my thoughts honoring to them? The way that I think about people? Does it honor the creation that they are? Is the thing I'm thinking about just? Is it right? Is it beautiful? These are the things that we're told it's worthy to think about. Is it for commending someone else or for tearing them down? Or to look for commendable things, those things that are beautiful, those things that we're called to honor others. We should be those who jump to give praise even in how we think and consider others. That out of our heart, our mouth speaks. Out of your thoughts, that's how you will move out toward the world. So neither of these practices, prayer or cultivating this kind of thought life, trying to change the way we think to wear new paths, neither of these things are easy, right? I don't have this mastered or all figured out. Uh, in reality, it's by God's grace that I'm the one speaking here because I'm anxious all the time, a lot. And I so easily walk through life hurried and wanting control over every detail. I have an engineer for a dad, and so my approach toward life has always been put my hands on something, take it apart, and learn every single thing about it, and then fix it. And I love doing that. Nothing excites me more than being able to fix a problem. Sometimes that's really useful. Uh, but other times, that's really not useful. When the kind of problems that exist in my life 
aren't something I can put my hands on, right? Like these are these creator-sized problems, and I am a creation. These things are big. And every single time I put that kind of creator, God-sized problem in my hands, like a question like, how do I secure the future that I want for myself? I'm crushed by that because I can't handle it. I can't order and direct my life no matter how hard I try. No matter how hard I try to take apart those things, it's not going to work. So I've spent years of my life like this, striving for control. And every time it's left me exhausted, emotionally unhealthy, spiritually starved. So it's time to give that up, to give up our kingdoms. Because they can't stand in the face of the Lord who's at hand, who's drawing near to you, who wants those things who asks you to pray and come to him, who's given you a guide for how to move in your thoughts through the world here. So that's just me. I just have a dad who's an engineer, right? I inherited a behavior and a disposition from him. And some of you, that might be true. And others of you, this, this anxiety is existing in your life in intense ways. You have clinical levels of anxiety and they make these things so, so complicated. But the peace that God has, the peace in that creator who is near is just as much for you. So even though it complicates things, don't suffer in silence. Go before God in prayer. Start cultivating your thoughts, but seek the help of trusted friends, of the people here talk to us. There's no shame in treating anxiety, and there's no shame in being supported by community. So, as we wrap up here, my hope is this, that we would surrender our kingdoms, that we would stop putting ourselves on that kind of throne that is tearing us to pieces, that we would instead embrace and surrender to the Lord who is at hand, and that we would do this through prayer, through going to him. And that we would do this by surrendering even our thoughts to where those new paths. Pray with me, guys. Lord in heaven, I thank you that you have established your kingdom, Lord. I thank you that you have saw fit to establish yourself, God, and to communicate to us who you are. Lord, this anxiety that tears through our lives as we're putting ourselves in a position we weren't meant for. Lord, help us. Help us go to you. Help order our thoughts. Amen.